Hey everyone, Steve here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to 3E Development, Jason Allen White, and Andy Mason at Heaven in Business for giving us reviews on iTunes. iTunes does their rankings based on an algorithm of downloads and reviews, so each review we get helps bump us up those podcast charts. If you've got a moment, please go to iTunes and give us an honest review. We would appreciate it more than you know, and you'll probably get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks. And I had this dream. I was sitting in my office here at my computer. I was actually watching myself. So there was two Steves. I was standing at the door watching Steve at the keyboard. Uh, at the same time as this is happening, Father God is standing beside me by the door. And so I see uh, this busy version of myself typing at the computer. The phone rings, I pick up the phone, and then somebody knocks at the door and asks a question. So I, I turn and I, and I answer a question while I'm on the phone and I'm working on the computer. All of this is going on and I look to Father God and I give him this big smile. Aren't I doing good, Daddy? You know, look how good I'm doing. And Father God leans down and says to me, with a smile on his face, he says, Steve, this is not for me. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author Stephen DeSilva. We brought Stephen on today to talk about his book, Money and the Prosperous Soul. And I think the recommendation by Dave Ramsey on the front cover it says a lot about this book and about this interview. It says, I'm grateful that Stephen Da Silva has finally put prosperity in the proper light by defining it as the condition of your soul, not your wallet. This is a book that I strongly recommend and we'll have links to purchase it in our show notes at our website, eternalleadership.com slash zero five two. Here now is how my co-host John Ramstead and I got that conversation going with Stephen Da Silva on this edition of Eternal Leadership. So, John, I know I've talked a lot about the Heaven and Business Conference that I went to in Bethel back in January, but one of the highlights for me was meeting Bethel's CFO, Stephen DeSilvan. Now, Stephen's name first came up when a listener had recommended him after listening to the Andy Mason interview. He said, you gotta get Stephen DeSilva on. And so I started looking at his website and I was like, wow, this, this guy's got some great stuff to say. And then I went to, in Bethel, I met Stephen in his office and we talked for, I don't know, probably about an hour and a half. And it was yeah. just, it was great. It was, I, I love what he's talking about. I love what he's doing. He's written a book called Money and the Prospect for a soul. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. We want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the ministry that he's involved in at Bethel. And so, John, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts about this interview? Well, you know, Steve, I'm really excited to talk to you today about two things. First of all, just the whole concept uh, that Christ talked about, about prospering our soul and what that means in our whole life. And also your book has so much great information just about the whole concept about wealth and money and riches and how do we really look at that as believers and you know bring kind mm -hmm. of these two together and bring that out in our lives so um, i'd love for you to start and maybe just share a little bit about your background and your journey and then steve and i have uh, a lot of questions we'd love are just burning to ask you so <laughs> very good well um my journey is uh, i began as a cpa in um california and i did that for a for about um, 
five or six years. I quit that career, started my own practice when I moved to Bethel Church. And um, it was during that time I was doing a lot of financial coaching as just as a Christian and because I was a financial uh, trained person. I, I did a lot of uh, coaching and counseling and trying to get people through some products that are great products. Dave Ramsey's material, um, Ron Blue's material, get Larry and Crown Ministries, and uh, just just working on their uh, material. But the thing that frustrated me in those days is I, I felt that I could teach skills, but I wasn't seeing people get over a hurdle. Kind of this, um, this uh, there was some issues that they weren't able to deal with or get past that the cycles just continued to repeat. So I observed this cycle uh, phenomenon both in myself and in others. And um, it was around that time that I was now working at Bethel Church as the CFO in, uh, in those early days. And of course, Bethel was a lot smaller then. But I, um, a, a small ministry began called Sozo. It uh, came, it began out of a, out of a, a meet, series of meetings that Randy Clark uh, came to Reading to, to operate with and just do some ministry in town. And so we learned some deliverance uh, tools in advance of that, thanks to a man named Fred Gruy. Fred Gruy left. Randy Clark, was his conference was done. And um, my wife and some others began to pick up the tools and use them into developing a ministry called Sozo, Bethel Sozo. And, uh, and as that ministry developed, it was a deliverance ministry. It was, it was designed around getting people over hurdles and... Uh, you know, into a relationship, a deeper relationship with, with Christ. And I was watching this and I thought, wow, I wonder if I could use that with uh, this area of money and see if I could unseat uh, people's cycles where they destructively repeat cycles in their, in their, in their own financial experience. Anyway, I tried to, I tried it on myself. I tried to um, think about, learn about, pray about, and discover the details of that and how it would work. And so that's what my journey is now is uh, I'm the CFO of Bethel Church. Uh, that's my full-time job, which takes up most of my time. But uh, when no one's looking and I get permission to sneak <laughs> out, then I'll, uh, I'll uh, run classes, uh, conferences, and uh, individual sessions on um, this idea of a financial sozo. And my ministry name is Prosperous Soul. That prosperous soul is based on a verse in, in 3 John 1, verse 2. And it's a prayer that John prayed at the beginning of that letter. He says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. And I think there's a secret hidden in there that a, a prosperous soul becomes like a, a source or a fountain that out of it comes some really great stuff a prospering heart or a prospering life and experience and uh, divine health. So, I, um, so I've so i been probing around on that for a few years now, and, and this is what we're talking about. Now, Stephen, for people that don't know what Sozo is, explain wh- where that word came from. Sozo, that's spelled S-O-Z-O. It's a Greek word that means saved, healed, and delivered. It's, um, it's used over a hundred times in the Bible. It's, um, it's the words that it's, it's the word translated when it says it's for someone to be saved. Uh, it's also used in terms of deliverance for someone to be delivered, um, or if someone to be, 
uh, healed. If someone was healed of a disease, they were sozoed. So when you nose around in there in, in some of the Greek, you can find uh, some pretty interesting things. That idea, sozo, we're just, we're just using that concept of a financial breakthrough, financial deliverance, financial healing. Now, Steve, when you talk about deliverance, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to automatically think of a bunch of people standing around screaming for demons to come out. But that's not what Sozo is from my experience, as well as from what I've seen and from what I've heard. It's something very, very different. Yes, yes. It's really, it is simply uh, meeting Father God listening to what he has identified as a lie, giving him that lie, and asking for a truth in exchange. God, what would you give me in exchange? What do you say about me is a, is a great line to ask Father God. And, and he thinks we're beautiful. He loves us. And so really a sozo or a deliverance is not anything you've seen on TV. It's very quiet. It's very powerful. It's very gentle and honoring and protective of that person. It's an intimate time with Father God. You know, Stephen, you know, early on, um, you shared with us that, you know, there was one point you were laying there in your bed and you, and you just felt alone and unqualified and stuck where a lot of people have kind of been in those shoes. You said, <laughs> you said God shared something with you in that moment. What was that? Oh, wow. Well, that's an intimate, intimate recall. Uh, yeah, I was um, going a little further in this story. My wife's ministry, Sozo, began to grow. And I was a champion for my wife, as we all should be as husbands, and prayed for and supported her. And uh, her ministry grew and she began to travel. And then she began to travel more and then more and more. Now, we had little kids in those days. My two sons are grown now. But uh, one night I was laying in bed, and I was not in the best of places. Uh, I was pretty discouraged. My wife is gone. My kids, uh, I just got them to bed. Uh, I'm feeling very lonely. I have a cat, and she's laying on my chest, and I'm talking to my cats uh, into my cat's eyes, and, I, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Um, what... What God, what are you going to do about it? I begin to pray to the Lord and I ask him, what, God, what are you going to do to fix this for me, this situation? And uh, middle of the night, staring up at the black of the, of the room, the ceiling, and I just clearly heard the Holy Spirit say, well, what are you going to do about it? And I was so taken aback. I thought, well, I think that was your job, God. I think you're my savior. You're, you know, you're the lover of my soul. You're going to rescue me, right? And he said, no, I want you to go and happen. I, you need to happen. I will help you, but you need to activate your life. And I had just, I guess I had unseated a, a almost hidden victim paradigm in my head that things happen to me or life happens to me. And I realized and, and continue to realize that I need to happen to life. And I need to um, think and pray and do my best with what God has given me in my mind, in my hands, in my creativity, and uh, ask for favor and direction and correction and watch the Holy Spirit do that. So what, so what, that, is, what that did is that was kind of the, probably the beginning of my ministry where I actually began to stand up. 
So what did that look like to, you know, build your own life, fight your own fights? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Oh boy, it it is. Now I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> You're touching on some fun stuff for me. I we have language around here at Bethel about a powerful woman. I know there's lots of uh, messages out and books out on uh, powerful women, and uh, and and I and I happen to be married to one. And my wife, I love her very much, but she is a just a big powerful woman. Does a lot of great ministry. And um, comes home, and she's pretty banged up when she does those field trips. And uh, and I'm I'm you know I protect her and love her, and and we have this really good relationship. But I realized one day that my wife, if I don't know if this uh, illustration works, but it's like a kite. My wife was her ministry, her life was thriving like a kite in the air, and I was on the ground holding and supporting her in that. And uh, like like a kite flyer, I'm holding the string, and she's soaring. And uh, sometimes I don't remember. I remember as a boy, and maybe you do, flying kites. How when that string would pull, that kite would take off. It would burn your fingers. Mm-hmm. And and I was experiencing that uh, burn in my life. It's like my there she goes. What about me? And um, I began to, uh, what what I began to do is when I. When I, when I started to look at my life and, and say, okay, next morning when I woke up, I said, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to happen? And I thought, well, I like to write. Um, I think I have a message. I'm going to take some risks. Um, I'm going to be willing to fail. And I've just developed that courage or that momentum in my life. I realized that my wife's ministry can only go as high as I can fly. I realized that as I grew higher, that brought slack into this, back into this kite metaphor and my wife could move higher. But my, my assignment wasn't to promote her. My assignment was to happen. My assignment was to uh, be myself and to grow into whatever God has built as a destiny and potential for me. And, and I began to think about it. Uh, I want to be the world's tallest man. I began to, I want to be tall because I want to lead my wife. I want to cover and bless and protect my wife. And at the same time, push her and encourage her and strengthen her. And all of that has to be done in a mirror. I have to look back at myself and go, no, I need to, I need to do the same for myself. So it was a, um, it had, I say it was, it's like as if it's behind me, but really it's a, it's a growing, um, living thing for me, um, I had a, a real difficult time at first figuring out who I was and uh, what I liked. And um, uh, I, I am also leaving out a big part of the story. I was uh, recovering from a very, uh, a, probably a close season almost to a sense of, a, of a, an emotional breakdown. I had worked so hard in my, uh, in my businesses. I have a message on it uh, about... Uh, toil and learning rest and what Sabbath means, and uh, I think that's a fascinating study about the the um, the the verse the phrase that's translated biblically evil one. Uh, can't, its root is toil, and so that that toil idea is so common among men. I think perhaps women, but I don't want to speak for them. But I know for sure marketplace people. Uh, you, you know, we, we work hard, we exhaust ourselves, and, we, um, and we, we don't understand the idea 
of rest and uh, what what Christ means when he says that I am I am your rest. We're we're told to labor to enter into his rest and and learning what that means. We've been engineered to require that. So um, so my experience was coming out of very uh, you know a season where I had lost myself, a season where I didn't understand really who I was. I knew that I was an accountant. And I had mistaken my role for a purpose in life. And um, it's just, it was a dead end. But as I grew out of that, um, life began to come back. I began to be creative again. I began to dream again. I began to have hope and momentum and creativity flowed back in. And this is where the book came from. And um, I, I have a couple manuals as well. So... Well, Stephen, in the book, I, th- I think this is the season that you're talking about. You you talk about that you had a dream where God came to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. And talk about that one. Okay. Well, um, this was on the uh, season I, I was working as the full-time CFO of Bethel, and I also had my own tax practice where um, I had uh, select clients. I did their ministers their tax returns, their uh, corporations, and their families. I had them all over the country, actually. I had about 150 of these clients and uh, really served, just pouring myself out. Uh, felt like, you know, my, my, my assignment in life at that time was to just, just pour myself out and, and uh, serve these important people, which I still believe that. Uh, but at the time, I was actually operating out of an orphan spirit, um, uh, the alternative being the spirit of adoption, which is Romans eight fifteen. So I was operating from this orphan mentality, and so it was just emptying me. My clients and my uh, work here at Bethel Church probably kept me at a at a pace of twelve to fourteen hours a day for about six or seven, probably solid seven years, probably longer if I looked. But um, I was at a point of near exhaustion, and. Um, I was uh, physically starting to break down. I was having some, um, uh, you know, sleep problems and just, just many. Uh, I was on the edge of, of a, a serious problem. And I had this dream. And God woke me in this dream. I was sitting at this table, actually. I was sitting in my office here at my computer. I was actually watching myself. So there was two Steves. I was standing at the door watching Steve at the keyboard. Uh, at the same time, as this is happening, Father God is standing beside me by the door. And so watching this dream, I see uh, this busy version of myself typing at the computer. The phone rings. I pick up the phone and put it under my chin, and I'm talking on the phone, and I'm working on the computer. And then somebody knocks at the door and asks a question. So I, I turn, and I, and I answer a question. I say, yeah, do that to the person in the door while I'm on the phone and I'm working on the computer. All of this is going on, and I look to Father God, and I give him this big smile. Aren't I doing good, Daddy? You know, look how good I'm doing. And um, I just feel so proud of myself that I'm doing all these things at once. And Father God uh, leans down and says to me with a smile on his face, he says, Steve, this is not for me. Ooh. And it wakes me up out of a dead sleep. I am just, I just sit straight up and it's one of those dreams where you just, uh, it's just, it's just hanging on me. And I'm like, wow, God, does this mean 
what does this mean? Am I, am I somewhere you didn't want me to be? Do I need to quit my job or sell my practice or what, what does this mean? So that's where I, um, that night went and looked up the words evil one in my, uh, I'm a new American standard guy. And so as I, as I looked up the phrase evil one in my strong concordance, it came up that in my version, my translation, it shows up 10 times. The phrase evil one shows up 10 times in nine verses, I think it is. And uh, they're all in, new, in the New Testament. So I wrote down the verses, went back to sleep, woke up the next morning and went and did a study on these words and read, read the verses and we're familiar with them. They're they're like, um, you know, taking up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. First mm-hmm. John um, five nineteen. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a great example. Well, that evil one. When I looked at the meaning, the actual Greek there that's translated, I I was expecting to see devil, but I didn't. What I see is a word pone, P-O-N-E, and that word's root is toil. The pone, P-O-N-E, actually means evil, not devil, but just the concept of evil, and its root is toil. So when I, um, when I began to reread these verses and thinking about uh, taking up the, the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of evil or toil— it changed my paradigm of what was happening. You see, God didn't build us as people. He didn't engineer us for toil or for, you know, for um, exhaustion and uh, emptiness and hopelessness. And uh, the enemy exploits our condition. I think he calls people out uh, that are doing good things, uh, even, you know, whether you're in the marketplace or, or a pastor or a mother uh, we we get busy. I'm not talking about busy. I'm not talking about tired. I'm talking about emptying and uh, sorrows. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, but he adds no sorrow to it. So if you have sorrows in your life, you've you've kind of walked too far. You've gone beyond the blessing of the Lord is what that that verse kind of means. And, and I found myself in sorrows, man. I was, I was having to take medication, uh, which I had to quit because it was just terrible for me. But nonetheless, I was, um, I was trying to get help. I was, I was uh, empty. I couldn't feel inside of me. I didn't have any value, any, anything I cared about. I was really dead. It was a really scary place because I wasn't, uh, that isn't my norm. Were people and, around you seeing this? Yeah, you know, my wife saw it, um, of course, uh, but she didn't know what to do. We would talk about it, and um, I didn't, I didn't have a grid for it. I just, I was serving, in my mind, I'm serving God, and I'm serving these important people around my life. I also, I was serving other important people too. My sons, I was tireless at what they wanted to do. If they wanted to work on a, a school project, you know, until late, then I'd work on a school project. And I would just make up for it the next morning with an early morning because, remember, I've got these 14-hour days going on. And so, you know, if my kids wanted to go to the lake, we went to the lake. If my wife needed to go, whatever, go do something, go out to dinner, we went out to dinner. I was just – it was like I lost myself in uh, 
you know, if it can be done, it was like I, uh, I was, I was trying to be, trying to be a hero, trying to be a servant to all, but my, which is, which is godly and biblical. The difference is I was doing it from an orphan spirit and not a prosperous soul. And, uh, Steve, what steps did you take to get from that place you just described to this place that I know you're in now, joy, peace, and a, and a soul that's prospering? How would you help oh. somebody listening who, who's identifying to, you know, uh, identifying to what you're talking about move yeah. forward with what you've done? Well, thank you for asking that. Uh, the dream and then the next morning led me into prayer because I still had a problem on my hands. God said, this isn't from me. And uh, so I was, my, my crisis at that moment is, God, you don't, you don't want me to do this. What I'm not, I thought I was doing what you asked. And it was, it was some time. It took a while, but eventually I heard from the Holy Spirit. He said three words. He said, keep my Sabbath. And I, th- I'd never had thought about a Sabbath before. That felt like Old Testament to me. Uh, and I, being so naive, I thought, well, I guess Old Testament stuff doesn't apply. And uh, so I began to study Sabbath. Uh, I, I realized that it is in the New Testament, that Jesus did affirm it. In fact, he is our Sabbath. Uh, and so I went to the Old Testament to learn what the Sabbath stood for. And I am, I, I have to say, the more I study about what Israel was trying to accomplish with the Sabbath was, is phenomenal. Uh, we see it as a law sometimes, but that's so surface and so naive. The deeper I looked, it's like, wow, this is unbelievable. Uh, the little pieces that I understand is uh, that the, the, the rabbi's paradigm, uh, the Jewish paradigm for Sabbath is that you're bringing eternity, timelessness onto earth for a little while. And that's why Sabbath is a rest day. And, and this, this echoes something that matters to me. Uh, thy, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's like, oh, I began to see these paradigms. I, I started resting. I took a day. This is my, my model. Is I said, okay, I'm going to rest for a day. Um, I don't have time to rest. My clients are screaming. I've got tax returns due. This, by the way, was in late February, early March <laughs> for me. And I'm a CPA. I am busy, man. And so I'm, I remember I decided on taking Saturdays off because Sunday as a pastor is a work day for me. So I said, I'm going to take Saturday. So I sat on the couch. I remember the first Saturday, man, I got up and I walked out and I sat on the couch and I am, I am just stressed out. I mean, I am like so, so angry. (laughs) I am not having a good Sabbath day. I'm mad. My kids are watching cartoons. They're wanting to wrestle. I am grouchy. Um, but I managed to get through a whole day and not go into my office and work on these piles of tax returns I had. I managed it. It was terrible. I learned a lesson then that sometimes it takes more faith to do nothing than something. You know, it's just, it was so hard. Anyway, I started stacking up my Saturdays, and uh, by probably about the third Saturday, I am uh, excited to be up. I'm excited to wrestle with the boys. 
we're thinking about what do we do on a Sabbath day? Man, I don't know. I think we chase lizards. So me and my boys would go out and chase lizards in the yard, you know, or at the lake. We'd go to the lake. We'd we just, I've got some funny stories that probably we don't have time to tell here, but, but, you know, I learned that I like to chop wood, but on my Sabbath day, I don't like to chop a lot of wood because it's a lot of work. <laughs> so just that one swing of an ax, you know, is just so gratifying. So I do that kind of a thing on a, on a Sabbath day. I'd read books. I'd turn off my cell phone. Mm. I'd take a nap. I'd walk with my wife. We'd go to, to lunch. We'd uh, maybe maybe barbecue something at home. We'd have friends. Uh, it was just really alien to me. And I began to reawaken is what happened. I began to uh, imagine again and feel. I remember one day my wife said to me uh, something that offended me. And um, what was different this time is when she said it, I felt it. And it, I felt it hurt my feelings. And I said, Donna, I, I think you just hurt my feelings. She said, I did? That's great, honey. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> she's rooting for me to come back as well. She's like, that's awesome. So we're, we're celebrating that I was offended. You know? She was excited that you just had feelings again? That somebody was alive inside. She, she says, you're coming back. And, you know, we, we really celebrated it. It sounds funny now, but those were tearful days, man. Those were, those were hard days, you know. But we were coming back. And, and when you say where I'm at now, that, that is where I'm at now. Um, I do experience... Um, I experience hope and excitement, um, thrill. You know, it had been a while since I had felt thrill, but I felt thrill. I feel it now. Um, creativity. Um, I, feel, I feel God's pleasure when I write. I bump into it sometimes, not every time. But sometimes when I'm kind of working on my creative stuff, I feel like I, I bump into him. I don't know if that makes sense, but I meet him. And uh, there's just pleasure in that, and uh, it's it's a it's a soul that's prospering. You know, and, in prosper uh, in prosperous souls ministry, Steve, you talk about some of the foundations are starting with breaking those spirits of of poverty in mammon. How how do you do that with people? What do you what are you teaching them? Well, uh, I believe that poverty and mammon are children of the orphan spirit. I think the 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 devil is. The or, his spirit is the orphan spirit. He was orphaned out of heaven. And that, uh, I can't prove that. Hey, I'm no theologian, but I am an accountant. So <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm wrong, but this is my experience. I, I see this, this parent spirit of orphan sends pairs of opposites into the world in different areas, in, in the, relig in the um, religious area or in the government area. Those are, there are different pairings, I believe, but in the financial area, in the money area, the two twins that are sent to distract us are poverty and mammon. Poverty spirit is something that pulls us down, makes us feel worthless, feels like there's never enough. Mammon spirit is the opposite. It, it says you deserve it. It's entitlement it says it puffs you up. It's it's the basis for addictions, I believe, because it, it's instant gratification. Pleasure in exchange for worship is basically what's happening in the mammon uh, spirit. And so when I when I walk them through this course in this section, 
we're on the uh, kind of on the defensive posture. We're building our foundation, and we we begin to recognize what I call fingerprints. And we'll start on the poverty side, and we'll I'll describe some stories uh, about in my own life how I found poverty or I experienced poverty, and um, Mammon works similar but opposite. Um, these things work like seeds, like uh, they come to us as ideas and they sit in our heart or, or really they sit in our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotion. And these, these, these seeds, these ideas, they grow into a plant that matures and bears fruit. And the fruit in your life is the thing that we learn to hate. We learn to hate addictions. We learn to hate invisibility. We learn to hate these, these things that we experience. Those are the fruit hanging in our life, and we try to pick them. But like an apple tree, you can keep picking those apples, but the tree continues to produce. This is just how the spirit realm works in this area. And uh, Jesus talked about it. It's why I'm confident of this. He says that you'll know a tree. Uh, it, he said, no good tree will bear bad fruit. No bad tree will produce good fruit. And he's talking about behaviors, not not an orchard there. So we have this situation in our life. When we see bad fruit in our life, it's no good to pick it. We have to go back and recognize the tree or the source of, of, this, of this fruit. Where did that start? And sever the root. And... Uh, it's a this is this is a financial sozo exercise. We'll go back to that source. We'll ask Father God to show us where that is. And so then I I teach around that, and people have experiential um, uh, kind of moments where they write or they listen or they share. I use tokens uh, for the poverty spirit. We want to break the poverty spirit, so I have them use a paperclip. I say that the paper clip is symbolic of the poverty spirit because it's circular, it holds you, and uh, and and I have them straighten that out and undo, unwrap this poverty, this this poverty mindset, this poverty attitude that is settled in their lives, and um, when they do that, I have them break that wire, and that's a symbol that uh, that's a broken concept, a broken mindset in their life, and we're doing some some things with the Holy Spirit, and really it's God doing the work. Um, I'm just trying to keep up with Him and uh, cooperate with Him. And uh, after that event is over, uh, it's really fun to interview, and I've done hundreds, probably thousands of them by now, where I ask people, uh, you know, tell, tell me some of your stories, uh, what was happening while, that was hap- while you were doing that exercise. And there's um, uh, people have profound experiences with the Holy Spirit in those times shaking loose and moving loose, moving free from lies they've believed and exchanging those for truth, and which you get from the Holy Spirit, which is the Bible. We go to the Bible for our truth, get the truth in there, because the truth is also a seed. It also lands. It also grows and bears fruit. So, Steve, what are a couple, one or two of those examples? What are some of the stories that have come out of that? Uh, one that comes to mind was uh, Skype Financial Sozo. It was it was so scary, I'll admit, uh, because the individual was in another place, but he was sitting on a couch beside his wife, and he was a businessman. He had um, he was at the at a crisis point in his business. It was a deal that was um, 
was needing to break through and uh, the bank was not releasing more money, but he needed the release of money to afford the final rush on this on this big contract. And uh, and he was and he said what most I asked him, why do you need a financial sozo at the beginning? And he said, it's because this kind of crisis repeats over and over in my life. And I I need to stop that. Anyway, we're now in the sozo. And uh, I ask him, I, I'll skip over a bunch of stuff, but but we're at the point where we're asking the Holy Spirit to um, show him where he learned the root of this tree in his life. And uh, he saw a room uh, that was lit, an empty room that was lit in the middle was a curtain. And inside the curtain was all dark. And uh, I asked him to, uh, you know, open the curtain. And he said, I can't, I won't. I said, uh, what's inside the curtain? I don't know. I don't want to look. We were kind of stuck there and I wasn't going to move him past that. We went on in the sozo. And at the very end of what I thought was the sozo, I said, is there anything else you want to do? And he said, I opened the curtain. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I said, what happened? What's in the curtain now? I'm totally into it. Uh, what happened? What's in the curtain? He said, there's, the, there's a pillar and there's the bust of the, the head and shoulders of uh, Beethoven. But the face of Beethoven is dark. It's black. But everything else I can see is inside this curtain is lit up now. And uh, as soon as he said that, I felt the Holy Spirit say, that's shame. He, and, I, and so I asked him, what does that mean to you? He said, I don't know. I said, um, does, does shame, is there some point of shame in your life that that, does that mean anything to you? And he starts sobbing on the couch. And this is the part that scared me. I thought, oh, my God, I broke him. <laughs> I don't know. I can't reach him. You know, what do I do? And he's sobbing and sobbing. And he finally, uh, what seemed like minutes, but probably seconds, he uh, he, I asked him, what, what, what happened? He said, I remember being molested as a little boy in a bathroom by, by a man. And I was so ashamed of myself that I, I have carried this shame, this disqualifying shame in my entire life. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so we prayed through this, this ministry with the Holy Spirit. We asked him to give that shame to God. And what would you get in return? And the guy erupts in tears again. I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? And he's crying. I mean, completely undone. His wife is trying to console him, and he's sobbing on the couch. And he has two beautiful daughters. They're kind of peeking. I can see him peeking into the Skype. They're looking around the corner in the back from the other room. And after a long time, he said, uh, I asked him, what happened? He said, I saw the face of Beethoven. And... And it was my own face. And he said, God told me in that moment that I am a great man. Oh, my gosh. We were, you know, we were all sobbing at this point, which is ridiculous for the, for the person myself being sitting there crying with these people. But I am just so moved. And this guy has a powerful breakthrough and unseats this shame that has nested in his soul for years. He's probably in his 40s or possibly early 50s, this thing has unloaded. He's given it to God. God has exchanged, that, taken that junk and given him this identity that, that God says, you are a great man. I didn't do that. 
His wife didn't do that. You know every friend of, that he's ever had has tried to help him, but until Father God touches a man uh, or woman, it, it just it just is different, and, and that's what happened. And uh, kind of a fun story follow-up is I followed up with that guy about, I think it was about two months later, and I just sent him an email and asked him what's happened, and he was excited. He said right after that, <laughs> this, you know, the bank turned a 180 and decided to fund him. He was able to finish the deal. He completed the contract and he, he got out of that deal, which was at one point such a massive threat now became a huge blessing. So it was, uh, it, it was powerful, but I have many, many, many like that. So, yeah. Wow. Steve, thank you for sharing that. I was going to ask you earlier, you know, you talked about you have to cut the root off, but the first thing you have to do to be able to consciously sever that root is to identify that root. And that's what you yeah. were just talking about. So thank you for sharing that. You know, as we wrap up, what final thoughts would you leave with people as they've they've just heard this conversation about your journey and having a, a mm. soul that's really prospering so that everything else in their life, their relationships, their yeah. their finances, being out of debt, you know, all these things, their their faith, uh, their impact in this world can yeah. can prosper also. Yeah, I I think my closing comment is I'm convinced that the 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 devil has done a work on the church and even though we are people of promise and born again lovers of God, I am convinced that the enemy has confused us and we stay at a distance from Almighty God. We relate to Jesus because he accepted us as sinners. We relate to the Holy Spirit because he's a comforter. But God, Father, is a judge, and he is hard to approach when we don't feel worthy. And so what I would encourage people to do is don't tolerate a, a, a orphan space in your life. Do that thing it says in Matthew that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Close that gap. Get over yourself and get on the lap of Father God because he's better than you can imagine. And and I mean, that's that's said a lot, but I believe it and experience it. You know, he is unbelievably good. And um, stick to your Bible, love your Bible, and find Father God and um, and just prosper. I love that. Get over yourself and get on the lap of God. And that, that's a big move that we just need to take. It's it's a big deal, man. Yeah, it's way better than the alternative, I'll tell you. <laughs> no kidding. Well, how, how can people find you, get in touch with you, uh, you know, connect with what you're doing at Prosperous Soul Ministries? Yeah, I have a website, prosperoussoul.com. That's all one word. Uh, you can find me there. I'm on Amazon. You can find my book. Um you can come to the Bethel website and you can find some of my stuff on there. But I have a lot of products and things on my website and, uh, and I think you'll be interested. I have three ministries, Pro- find, uh, Prosperous Soul, Prosperous Home, which is a home budgeting course, and then a Prosperous Enterprise I'm developing is a business, a marketplace version. Yeah, and they're all excellent. If you go to Amazon, just type in Prosperous Soul. And it's De Silva, which is D-E space S-I-L-V-A. So if people are trying to search you that way, that, that's how they would find you. That's right. Very good. So, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on today. This was just <laughs> powerful. 
Thank you so much. What an honor. It's a bless, blessing to be anywhere when you're an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have links to those ministries, Prosperous Soul, Prosperous Home, Prosperous Enterprise. Just go to the show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 052. That's eternalleadership.com slash 052. And you'll find those links, plus a link to Stephen's book, Money in the Prosperous Soul, some messages that he's given, his blog, all that and more, eternalleadership.com slash 052. And as always, that link is embedded in the summary of this MP3. So while you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer, you can click that link and it'll take you right to those goodies from Stephen. As we said at the top, Stephen is the CFO at Bethel. And speaking of which, the next Heaven in Business conference is September 8th through 11th. 2015 in Redding, California. Among the speakers this time will be Bill Johnson, Chris Vallison, and our good friend, Lance Wallnow, along with many other business owners and leaders that are practically walking out faith in the workplace on a daily basis. It's a great time of networking, encouragement, teaching. I was there for the conference in January of this year, and I'm planning on going back out for this one, this time with my family. If you go be sure to say hi to me and the link to get signed up for that conference. It'll be in our show notes. Special thanks to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production help on this episode. Next time on eternal leadership, author and speaker, Dory Clark. And it's part of your unique gift as a human being that you see things differently than other people. You have different experiences. And it's almost, I think, an obligation, one could argue, that if you're really going to live your life fully, that you need to be willing to step up and share your talents and share your vision. That's, that's part of what it means to live a full life. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>